On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I am your host, Mark. And today's guest makes me believe in inevitability. Mario Quintero is the singer and guitarist for the band Spotlights. He started the band with his now wife, Sarah. They met at the studio that Mario owned. But before all that, Mario was a kid from Colombia who grew up on his sister's albums and traditional Hispanic music like Mario Quintero Lara. He went to college for recording, but veered off into the jazz program playing guitar. After college, he opened a studio where he met Sarah, and that's where our coincidences begin. It turns out that we all not only share a wedding anniversary, but we also ran into each other before. Mario during the last failure tour and Sarah at the last show I saw before the pandemic, Woven Hand and Ohm. The pair connected and began playing together soon after. Mario talks about the band's name, working for some amazing other bands in many different capacities, and the difficulties in keeping a full-time job when you're touring with bands like the Melvins and Deftones. Spotlight's new album, Alchemy for the Dead, is awesome, and if you like heavy, melodic music, you're going to love it. Pick it up wherever you get your music, follow them at Spotlight's Music on Instagram, and if you get the chance, go see them live. You can help out the show by following us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support us through ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety with some coffee money or by buying merch on performanceanx.threadless.com. And I hope you enjoy Mario Quintero from the Ultimate Husband and Wife Project Spotlights on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'll just try and wing it and see what happens. <laughs> I'll make it like a radio. I'll try and pretend it's a radio one. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. This is Mario Quintero from the band Spotlights. You're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. Our new album, Alchemy for the Dead, is out now. Go rock it. The easiest way is uh, go to ipecac.com and go to the Spotlights link, and all our tour dates are there. You can buy all the records there. You can, uh, you know, we have our bio, all the information you need is there. And it's the shortest URL of all of them, just ipecac.com. <laughs> We're on uh, Spotlights Music on Instagram and I think Spotlights, the ba Spotlights Band on Facebook. I, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, you can Google will do the work for you. Just put Spotlights Band and it'll find her. Mark. Hey, Mario. How you doing? What's up, man? How are you? Good. How's it going? Going good. Going good. Can you hear me all right and everything? Oh, it sounds great. <clears throat> awesome. All right. Oh, I just keep knocking shit over here on my table. I'm trying to make one <laughs> adjustment and I can't seem to reach around without knocking over a pile of CDs or a bottle of booze. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's my podcasting space. Sweet. Music and alcohol. All right. So, oh, thank you guys. Thank you for uh, for joining me. I'm look, I've been looking forward yeah. to this one for a while. 
Same, man. Awesome. So you're in Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in uh, Winchester. So I'm <laughs> about, I, it's like 75 miles due west of D.C., Oh, nice. So right. you guys are on the road and I, I appreciate you doing this from the road. Literally. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally on the road, on the way to Tolano, Illinois. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you guys are touring with bird hands right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have a few more shows with them. And then, uh, then we meet up with this band Ryle from Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. An amazing band as well. Yeah. I love anything Alan Epley is involved in. I'm, I'm a big fan of. Us too, man. He's awesome. Uh, he, he's he, our, our favorite person to tour with. He's been on the podcast twice, and I, I love him to death. He's just a oh, cool nice. dude. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's, he's a sweetheart. He's been very kind and gracious to the podcast when he's come on, and and uh, so you guys, uh, he. I'm trying to think if, if I was listening to Third Gear Scratch or if he mentioned it when I don't think he mentioned it when he was on, but cause I think it was afterwards. But he's mentioned the band Spotlights and uh, the uh, I, I think it was the single that you guys did together. And so that's oh yeah, that was the first time I heard of Spotlights, and I was like, okay, oh, really nice. yeah, like I gotta check these guys out. So it, there's always guilt by association. You guys got interest by association. <laughs> hey, well, I'll take that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Before all of that happened, you know, you had to get into music somehow. And that's kind of what I like yeah. to, to, to learn about is to how you got to where you are now. And so sure. one thing I did discover in doing some research is uh, that you are not to be confused with Mario Quintero Lara, <laughs> who I, I discovered. Know. Steals, he steals all my thunder on the Internet. I can't, I'll, never, I'll never get out from under his shadow, man. Well, he's got but, one hey, hell of a unibrow. He's, yeah, he seriously does. And, and you know, talented dude, well-deserved. So I'm just happy to share a name with him, I guess. <laughs> He's been doing it a long time, apparently. He has, man. Yeah. Jeez. You know, my, I'm Colombian. I grew up, but my, both my parents are Colombian. I actually lived in Colombia first eight years of my life. And uh, wow. so I grew up, my dad was a huge Mexican music fan and Colombian music and all kinds of different Spanish music. But, uh, he knows, you know, he, he's played Mario Quintero records oh, over wow. my lifetime. So <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, yeah. But Hey, could be worse. Hey, exactly. It's a, it's <laughs> At least he's not like a serial killer or something. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He could be worse. You <laughs> could be John Wayne Gacy or, yeah. or Albert <laughs> fish. Yeah. Right. So, all right. <laughs> so you mentioned growing up, was there a lot of music beyond Mario Quintero in the house? Um, yeah, I mean, but, but mostly, you know, either Colombian, Mexican, actual like Spanish music from Spain, like boleros and things like that. It was very traditional. Um, yeah, I was never too into it, you know, cause I was just, I was young and like, you don't really want to like what your parents like. Exactly. I appreciate it way more now. And I mean, some of the, some of the stuff, obviously it's nostalgic for me now listening to stuff that my parents listened to when, when I was young, but 
some of it's incredible. Like just rhythmically, I can't, there has to be some of that had to have gotten in me somehow (laughs) for like, because I really appreciate a lot of the rhythms and stuff. And I think some of that stuff crosses over into what I like to do musically now. Maybe not like genre specific, but just rhythmically and harmonically and and whatnot. So you and I are pretty similar in age. So we kind of grew up in an insane era for music. I mean, yeah. And I had, I had two older sisters too. So like, as far as other stuff, that's, that's really what, what I caught on to is whatever my older sisters were listening to. Ah, okay. Especially like early eighties, you know, early mid eighties, stuff like that. That's when I really started kind of like, poking around in their record collections and tape collections and yeah. uh, <laughs> stealing <laughs> stuff from them. Yeah, because that, that was before CDs even. Yep, yep. Oh, man. So what got you interested in playing music in the first place? Was it an <clears throat> album or an artist? or And when, what, um, what was your first instrument? Technically, the very first instrument I played was piano when I was like four years old. My parents uh, had me in like piano lessons. But I just, I didn't really get into it. I liked playing music, but I, and I liked playing the piano, but I just wasn't into like, I've always, I just always hated school and I always hated like taking classes. So it felt like school to me because it was all about sight reading and, you know, so I never really followed through with that. But then when I was about 10, uh, I think just from watching MTV a lot and like, you know, there was like, that was like hair metal time. So a lot of like yep. the poison videos and Molly crew videos and shit like that got me into just wanting to play guitar and wanting to, wanting to do what those guys were doing. Yeah. Back when uh, they played videos on MTV. Yeah, I know. Right. We were lucky to have that. Yeah. But, um, I think that mixed with again, like hearing records like purple rain and shit like that, that just started kind of sparking an interest in actually like what's going on. Like, what are these instruments that I'm hearing? It kind of started breaking that stuff up in my head. Okay. Um, but when I was around 10, 11, I just, something hit me and I, I asked my mom if I could take a guitar lesson and see how it goes. And, and it just clicked right away. I mean, at first I actually played bass. So I, I went to the music store, rented a bass. I thought it was a guitar. I didn't know shit. I was just like, I think I want to play bass guitar. My friend was like, no, yeah, that guy's playing bass guitar. So I went to the store and was like, I want to play bass guitar. Came home with this giant, (laughs) giant, like, it was like one of those like steel headstocks, uh, probably like a Travis. It was probably some super sick bass that I, you know, had my hands on and, uh, played that for a couple nights. And I think I learned a U2 song on it. Oh, wow. But I was just like, it wasn't doing for me. Like what, it wasn't what I really wanted. So figured out what a guitar was, went back, took a lesson on guitar and then it just clicked. And I, I don't think I ever looked back after that. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store 
or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. So how soon after that were you playing with other people? Um, I think, you know, it was, it was a few years later. I, I, I sat in my bedroom and learned like every cure song I possibly could. Oh and, yeah. And I think when I, when I was maybe 13 or 14, probably 13, I think I was in eighth grade ninth. So yeah, like 13 or 14 in ninth grade, I joined this band of, I was, I was a skateboarder and some of my friends had a band called Basement. And I started playing with them, and that was my very first band experience. Yeah. Oh wow! You guys playing like parties and school functions and backyards and um, things like that, yeah, or just yeah, in the basement? I mean, I we, it was mostly just like, well, I lived in Miami, so there are no basements. Oh. But we were, <laughs> we were, uh, we practiced in this little warehouse that uh, one of the guys, the singer Chris, his parents, they did like pottery, so they we would just work in their practice in their workshop. But yeah, I, we, I think we might, I mean, we might've played like two parties yeah. tops <laughs> and that was it. You know, and then after that, there was a couple other little like high school bands and whatnot. Okay. I, I read that you started recording pretty early too. You got a, You had an interest in, in engineering and recording pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of always liked it. Even when I was just learning, like when I was like just sitting in my bedroom trying to learn how to do stuff, I had a little Casio keyboard that had a, you know some drum sounds on there and keyboard sounds and i would like i just always wanted to hear i always had the like urge to hear stuff back you know like i wanted to hear what i'm doing played back to me so i would take my little boom box and then go get like my sister's boom box and record a guitar part onto one boom box play it back while i was playing the casio keyboard onto the other boom box and <laughs> start bouncing stuff you know oh wow uh, so i always had like the the instinct to want to do that stuff. But when I was probably like, I think I was 18 or 19 is when I finally got uh, four track and I actually started going to community college for, for recording. Oh, cool. To see, you know, 
to, I don't know. I thought that that was the way to go at that time. And then I took a semester of recording classes and ended up kind of veering into the jazz program there. And that's kind of how I got more into like studying guitar. So at that point, were you thinking more along the lines of the production side of music instead of the performance side as a career? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I had kind of like, you know, the high school band stuff had ended and I, I was just kind of being a dummy smoking pot and driving around and it felt like doing like recording might've, might be more of like an actual viable career, which in the long run it's not, but, uh, it's basically, it's basically the same as trying to be in a band. But, um, so at that point I thought, yeah, I was, I was kind of pushing more towards being an engineer. But again, when I, as soon as I started going to community college and, and taking those classes, I just got sucked into the jazz program there and fell in love with, with playing in the big band and just started kind of, wow. it started taking off a little bit and I, you know, I was learning a ton and that's, I went from there to Berkeley and Boston and just oh, studied wow. jazz, jazz composition there and guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. That's, so the first thing that I see as a, like, as a recorded credit is Sleep Lady. So was there something between Berkeley and Sleep Lady that uh, band wise or were you focusing more on um, production? No, I had a, a couple bands. I mean, I had a, a band in Boston with a friend of mine. And then when I moved to San Diego, my buddy Mike and I, we decided to just go for it and build a recording studio, like a full on open up a full on, you know, commercial recording studio. Okay. And we did. And we had a band together at the time called Hialeah that we played in for a few years while the studio was going on. Okay. And then that's when I met, that's how I met Sarah actually was recording her band at, at our studio in San Diego. It was called black box, the studio, not her band. But, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's where I met Sarah. And then her and our friend, Mike Hayden and his wife, Christy, Mike was really like the, the main guy for sleep lady. He had a record all set up already. And, uh, Sarah joined the band and told me that I should join the band and I agreed and we, uh, that's how sleep lady started. And, um, okay. yeah, I mean, I had, I had recorded a ton of other bands, but that might be the first thing that you can like find on the internet. Right. <laughs> so, you know. so, all right. Were you, were you writing your own music, uh, at this point? I mean, you, you said you were in, in another band and did any of that translate into sleep lady or, or was that pretty much all the other? Um, not really. I think by the time Sleep Lady started, I had almost kind of that the band Hialeah had broken up. Okay. And that stuff was way more fast paced, like kind of just trying to shove as many parts into songs as you could, <laughs> trying to a little more a little more flashy and trying to be cool. But and I had kind of after that band broke up, I I was I had kind of given up a little bit. Not not on music, but just I didn't really feel like being in a band at that point and dealing with just egos and, you know, the whole band thing but as soon as i jam we we played with sleep lady i mean the first practice we had it just clicked and it was an instrumental band for the most part so i was only playing guitar and i didn't have to really do any of the writing like mike had most of the stuff laid out already so i was basically just playing parts oh. and adding whatever i wanted to i could you know it was just it felt way more creative on a different level than just sitting in a room with dudes jamming and, and fighting and <laughs> writing songs that weren't going to go anywhere half the time. So yeah, sleep lady was, was awesome. So you basically, you knew what he wanted you to do, but he gave you some freedom to make it your own. Yeah. But it was, it took the pressure off of like, 
there was none of us in the band really had any aspirations other than like, this is awesome. We should play shows Okay. where, where every other band I had, it was kind of like, I, and I mean, this is me. It it just, there was more of like a a self pressure to like try and do something with it and try and like get people to like us and try and get on a label and try and do stuff. And I think we were trying so hard that we were just shooting ourselves in the foot in the long run. But where with sleep lady, we just played and we just wanted the band to sound as good as it could sound. You know, we were, we were only really worried about the music and we're playing 12 minute long songs. So yes. obviously we weren't trying to like get on the radio. Right. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it just started clicking. Like that's when I realized I'm like, Oh, okay. So you just have to sound good and love what you do. And people will connect with it on a different level than when you're just kind of trying to go for something. Yeah. You know, instead, well, just worry about the art first. I was listening to it and I I think it sounds awesome. I know there are no happy accidents is just such an amazing song. I love yeah, this. Such yeah. a cool album. And so was this, Thanks. you mentioned, you know, Sarah in encouraging you to join, was this the first project that you two worked on together as a, as bandmates, I guess? Yeah. 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 That was the first time we were bandmates. I think, yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Sarah's right here. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was the first time we, we played together. And then shortly after that, we were friends already at that point. And during, during sleep lady, we had started, we were always talking about like doing a record together, just the two of us. And eventually we finally got into the studio and recorded what ended up being the very first spotlight song. We didn't have a name or anything for it at that point or anything, but just we went into the studio and four hours wrote and recorded a song and it just clicked. And, you know, I've definitely got some questions about that. So yeah. before we get into that, I wanted to ask you how we end up playing drums on um, machines learning. drums when I was younger come like playing with my friends and bands and stuff I would always get behind the kit and mess around and okay um, when I owned the studio I had a lot of time to actually like play drums and a lot of bands would come in and you know it's hard to find a good drummer so they wouldn't or they were you know I had friends that were writing songs but needed drums played on it so I started kind of playing for people and the machines learning thing came because Paul the main songwriter in that band his drummer quit and he had all these songs that he wanted to record. So he came in and was like, well, you, you just asked me if I would play on it. And, uh, and it was awesome. I loved the song. So I was yeah. like, hell yeah, I'll do that. that um, that's another cool then, album. Yeah. I, I forget about that one, man. It was such a good, <laughs> Paul was really talented. 
but yeah, so we did that record and then we ended up playing a couple shows with, with that band too. Oh, cool. A lot of fun. Yeah. So you mentioned the first spotlights recording that's zero five zero eight zero nine. Yeah. All right. So what, (laughs) what does that mean? What is, what is that? (laughs) So it's the date that, uh, it's the date that Sarah and I finally decided to to be together. Oh, basically. that is awesome. <laughs> it's the first night we made out. We'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So now, uh, now that means so much more to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't have a name for the band at that point, if I'm... No, yeah. So we picked the name because I was putting out a compilation for the studio of just local bands that had recorded there. And we were, we wanted to put that song on it. And so that's when we kind of just came up with the name and, and threw it on that compilation. Is there anything behind the name? Is there any, or was it just because it was supposed to try to spotlight the, the studio? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know. Well, we had a couple different options and there was a point in time when Sarah and I first started dating where, uh, there was a little bit of drama going on and we felt like we were in the spotlight for (laughs) for lack of a better word. And, uh, it just kind of, it just, we came up with it and it seemed like a good name and it stuck. The sound of the band is insane. Thank you. It's in, to me, it's, it's like the soundtrack to an avalanche. It's just, (laughs) it's awesome. It's just so heavy. It's it's hard to believe this. It's when you sometimes when you're recording just a duo or a three piece, you know. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable the sound that you guys get. Thanks. Was that the first things you were recording? Were you trying to just get as heavy as possible, or was it just? I mean, was there a a reason that it got so heavy, and you guys didn't do something a little bit more like uh, the the lighter stuff on Sleep Lady? Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, actually. Sleep Lady to me, if if you listen to some of the other stuff, is really fucking heavy. And live, we were super heavy. Ah, uh, okay. And I think some of that translated into spotlights too. But with spotlights, we didn't we didn't really go for anything. I mean, even especially for that first song, there was we were literally. I was like, I, we went to the studio. I told Sarah, I was like, just play something, and she played. She came up with this little line, then came up with another like heavier bass part, and we just it's just what came out. just kind of developed and you know we love heavy music and we love beautiful music and it's just the things that we like that kind of just come out of us i guess well it combines both of those elements so it's it's amazing like seismic it's an insane that i mean that's when i was it's like the soundtrack to an avalanche that that's kind of the song that comes to mind and it's just unbelievable but oh thanks man
it sounds to me like you guys had a, a pretty good idea of what you wanted to sound like from the very beginning. It wasn't the demonstration EP. And I'm assuming right. because it's called demonstration, it, it was demos. Yeah. Yeah. You're the first person to actually get that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so even that early on, the, you know, the sound is pretty well formed and it's insanely intense and I'm just kind of blown away by the clearness of your guys' sight at that early point. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because like, I, like I said, honestly, we didn't have any sort of idea of like where we were headed or what it was going to be. I, this was literally like, cause that was actually the goal of the band. It was like, let's just, again, like I, we want to do what we want to do and that's it. And there was no like, oh, well, we should sound like this or we should, I would love to make it more like uh, whatever genre or whatever. There was just no like intent behind it in that sense. The real intent was just to make something that we loved. And so like especially with demonstration, most of that stuff I came up with just on a laptop. Like it always it all mostly stemmed from like the electronic side of stuff. So oh, wow. you know, I would come up with a little synth part and show it to Sarah and we would get into the, the practice room and like just kind of like just try stuff. There was no, you know, um, and then it kind of shifted around to more like guitar. I just started wanting to hearing more guitar stuff in the songs. And that's kind of where, that, cause I initially played drums and spotlights. It was just me and Sarah. I was on drums and, uh, she was playing bass and we were both doing vocals and there was just a lot of electronic elements. Um, oh, okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But I eventually just wanted to play guitar, really. So we started looking for drummers. Oh, it became so, a three piece. Is that when you found Chris, or is, was, was he a later addition? He was a little bit later. Yeah, we went through a couple, but Chris came along when we finally 
I mean, we, we didn't really do too much before we found Chris. We, um, I mean, we had played a couple local shows. We played a party. That was our very first show. And then I think we played one show like at St. Vitus with opening for Shiner actually. Oh, which cool. was like our first real show. Uh, and then shortly thereafter was when titles came out and we got offered the Deftones tour. And that's when we actually ended up getting Chris to play. Okay. Okay. And then, and so that was uh, after you guys signed to Ipecac and no we, this was before it okay before it yeah. okay so yeah so all right so i want to get into that but i wanted to ask you a little bit about what you were doing in the meantime because I, I did hear that you had a tour and done sound for bands like hum and quicksand failure was that in the early early era of spotlights or is that spread throughout um, the whole as far as, far as me working for bands you mean yeah no that was relatively recent Fail, okay. that failure tour was last summer and then spotlights as a band we played with him but i never worked i never worked for him oh okay okay yeah. so so yeah. i probably saw you at the failure show in maryland then yeah, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so was I, bumping I was, into Priscilla. I was on the stage off to the side, tuning guitars. Oh, awesome. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a, okay, so that brings me to something else that I had heard and I want to double check. Uh, we are all atomic. And we're, I'll go back to everything else, but because we're kind of on this topic, I, will, sure. I wanted to yeah. ask. That was a lot of you doing the the music on that, right? Because I believe I, I heard that Sarah was on tour with Ohm at that point, doing merch and stuff. She was, yeah. With, I mean, she did she she did play on the record. I played drums on on that one as well, but uh, that one and a lot of that stuff was kind of older ideas that that ended up coming together for that EP. Because again, that EP was was meant to be kind of like a we wanted to do something different for blues funeral that was, it was like for that for the post wax release that they did Sarah was on tour with Elm at the time when I was kind of like record, like starting to record everything. And when she got back, we had a deadline of like two weeks, basically the record had to be done. So as soon as she got back, we just finished everything. And then I mixed it and sent it off. Oh, um, man. was that, was that the tour where woven hand opened up for Elm? Yep. That was, then I probably, so then I guess, you know, that, she must've been on tour with high on fire at that point because the okay. Elm tour got canceled because of covid okay because so i she can't i saw ohm with woven hand opening up and that was the last show i saw before uh, everything got locked down for covid yeah so. yeah she was there she was she was working that tour doing merch <laughs> so i probably <laughs> probably ran into you at maryland and then your wife in dc on two completely separate yep. occasions two totally yep, different probably. shows <laughs> That's that's pretty crazy. All right, so back back to where we actually were. Um, how did you end up going getting on tour on the tour with uh, it was was it the Deftones and Melvins or was that was it two different? Those were two separate tours. Okay. Yeah. So the yeah, I mean that was the Deftones tour was our very first tour Man. as Spotlights, which was crazy. How did you and that, that get such about, a high profile opening? 
yeah, I mean, we were absolutely nobody at the time, less than we are, you know, like we, we <laughs> started out our very single, which was the song Walls off of Titles. You know, it, it seemed to be doing well. Our, we were getting a lot of messages from friends, and our friend Aaron Harris, who we had worked with with Sleep Lady as well, he mixed one of our records for Sleep Lady. He was drum teching for Abe Cunningham at the time, and they were, and they were on tour. So he was, you know, he was out with Deftones and hanging out with Chino and whatnot. Oh. And I guess he just he passed the song along to him. And the next day or the day after, we receive an email from their booking agent and uh offering us a tour that we we thought was like a scam it just didn't <laughs> it didn't really like register that that could be something real oh, and it man. was kind of vague too you know asking like hey we'd like to know if you're available to tour with a large rock band uh <laughs> let me know and that was it so i was like what oh my god uh, uh, so we looked it all up and, and looked up their booking agent and you know who booked all these great bands and so we wrote him back and we were like, of course, yeah. We, and we were available and we were into it. And he writes us back saying, okay, it's opening for Deftones and refused. Here are the dates. Wow. Uh, let me know. And that was it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Pretty crazy. That's so. But that's just a testament to how, I think, how good the music is, but also the fact that you guys knew the sound. You, you, you know, you, you had that, that clearness of, of vision from the beginning. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy still. So, all right, so how did the relationship with Ipecac get started? So again, with Aaron Harris, we, we had uh, we had decided that we were going to work with him to record our next record, which ended up being Seismic. Uh, we already had all the demos basically done for the album and you know just regardless of whether we got on a label or not we were going to work with him anyway and so us and him started kind of putting a plan together to send out to a few labels just to see if somebody would pick it up before we actually recorded just so maybe we could either get a little bit of money to to help with the the recording because we were going to fly out to la to work with him so for us it was a, a huge expense and his band isis had been on ipecac already and palms as well and so he just reached out to greg sent him the demos greg is the owner of ipecac and um and yeah greg was into it but again you know him and mike Patton, they're both like the owners of the label and their their deal is they both have to love the band any band that they're going to sign right. otherwise they don't otherwise they don't sign them so like if, if one guy loves the band and the other guy's not into it they don't do it oh, okay um, so greg got back to us and was like i'm I love this, but I just don't think Mike's going to go for it. We'll see. He's like, I'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah. And the next day we got an email from him saying, Mike loves it. Let's do it. <laughs> so that was, wow. that was it. And ever since then we're, we've been there with them. Oh man. It sounds amazing. I was going to ask, it sounds like, like it's just a, a perfect match for you guys. 
yeah, we couldn't be happier. Like I couldn't have, we couldn't have imagined a better label to be on, but we were already big fans of, of the label and all the music that they put out and just like their philosophy. Yeah. You know, so they, they have such a wide variety of artists on there. There's so many different types of music, some styles, yeah, everything, everything. It's, it's really impressive. So, and you guys, I love the atmosphere in the music. There's, Every song has something like, uh, take for example, Should Time Stand Still. It's a static in it. There's acoustic guitar. There's an organ. I mean, yeah. it's just, there's so much going on. It's, it's just, there's such a mood with that song. When you guys are playing stuff like that live, are you concerned at all about recreating any of that? Or do you rework it so you play it a little bit differently live? Um, I mean, it depends on the song. So something like that song in particular, I don't even know if we would play that live. Maybe, maybe at some point, you know, some of those more like acoustic and just like semi ambient pieces, I think of as, as more just recording pieces, you know? Okay. But with all the songs, we never, with all our records, really, we've never played those songs until we record them. We've never played them together until we record them. So oh, wow. that moment in time, we're capturing like what they are at that moment. And then we figure out like, okay, how are we going to do this live? So sometimes, sometimes it's easy to just kind of play what's on the record. Sometimes we have to adjust drum parts or guitar parts. We have to play guitar part instead of doing something with a, with a the keyboard that's on the recording. I'll do it on guitar. But, but we also, you know, we do use, we put a lot of the electronic stuff live through the PA just because I feel like that's a big part of the sound as well. So instead of adding an extra person just to play a little keyboard line, we just, I trigger it all from my pedal board and oh, that's great. Kind of put it out into the, the PA. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier for you guys. <laughs> yeah, and it keeps yeah. that atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and so like off the new album, Beyond the Broken Sky, to me is it's something similar in that. I mean, it's just got this, yeah. this atmosphere to it, this, this heaviness to it without... At least you start with that without all the, the crushing guitars. There's just, it's, right. I, you guys have, have kind of mastered that, in my opinion. And Thanks, man. write together a lot or is there one main songwriter or does a lot of collaborative work um on this record there was a little bit mostly i've been the main you know songwriter i i usually just i'll write the songs demo stuff out 
and then show these guys the parts that I have. Uh, and I try and kind of have everything basically like fleshed out and structured so that we can all like make a decision on it in, in a more like, uh, I don't know, in a more real way. So we're not just hearing like the guitar part that we have to like imagine what it would sound like. I want them to hear kind of what the vision is first. And then we kind of go from there, you know? Okay. Um, and usually, and usually it works out for the most part, like, but on this, but on this album, we did collaborate quite a bit. So like Chris and I, especially were sending back and forth a lot of drum beats just because our focus on this record was to, to kind of just change things up a little bit. And so not do the same thing that we've already done a few times. And, uh, and I think that was a big part of it is I would ask Chris to just sit in his practice room and just come up with ideas. And so he would send me videos of him playing different beats. And even if those, that particular beat didn't make it onto the song, it would trigger an idea for me to come up with something with a, a new riff or, or like an idea for a baseline or an idea, just oh, cool. whatever it would, or a song would come out of it, you know? So it was, it's a cool way to, to kind of spark inspiration versus just me sitting in a room trying to come up with stuff on guitar or whatever. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> You've done some awesome covers as well. Yeah. Like the Mew cover you did. Oh, holy crap. That is nice. awesome. the whole pandemic you guys would release uh, a series of covers do you, yeah. do you approach covers in a similar way where you've got the idea and then you're telling sarah and chris or is it more collaborative in that aspect um it's, it's about the same for the most part even more so i think especially for those in particular just because those were all done during COVID. So I was just kind of at home with nothing else to do. So started coming up with, with, idea, you know, ways to stay creative. Right. Uh, and I, unfortunately, like on, on most of those, Chris didn't get to play. He did play on the shutter to think cover. keep putting stuff out and and stay creative but uh yeah for the most part it was just sitting at home and <laughs> coming up with the ideas well i like the, the covers and you mentioned the shutter to think what one of the things that was really cool to me is that some of the covers that you're doing aren't obvious influences in the music like red sure. you know, red house shutter to think that's when yeah. i hear spotlights shutter to think does not immediately pop into my head <laughs> yeah. there i mean that for all of us i think they're one of our favorite bands i i love that band oh, i mean yeah. i would say they're probably a bigger influence on me than a lot of things people would imagine are oh really know? but see yeah, like i think influence should be like that and is more like that like a, you know influence isn't really something that like you're copying necessarily it's something that's 
that forms informs what comes out of you i think more you know oh yeah so uh yeah bands like that bands like even like jawbox too a lot of those bands are huge influences on me and us well and i think part of that goes back to like like we had talked about in the very beginning the time where you know, we grew up listening to music. It was, you had all these awesome bands like Jawbox yeah. and Shudder to Think and Failure yeah. and, and all, you know, and it was just a huge amount of awesome music to take in and, and be influential in the music that you create. Yeah, definitely. So the band has been very consistent releasing things and whether it's just, whether it's an album or an EP, which I love that you guys release EPs. I've had a bunch of bands on here who say, I don't like releasing EPs because people don't buy them. They don't know what to do with them because it's not a full length album. Yeah. I, I love EPs because for some reason to me, bands seem to be a little more willing to experiment on EPs. Like it's, the weird stuff that comes out yeah. on EPs, and I, that's what, and I that, love that. That's, that's why we like them, I think, because it gives you a chance to just do whatever. Atomic EP was a really good chance to just kind of turn. And then we have like the Hanging by Faith EP, which is like a bunch of remixes of songs and a cover that we have that Cure cover on there. It's not going to be the same amount of press and all that stuff behind it, but it gives us something to do and it <laughs> keeps us going. And especially, you know, we, we really focus on touring and we love touring. I think it's probably the thing we like to do the most. So it gives us a little something just to kind of keep the momentum going during the tour cycle, okay. during the album cycle, you know? Yes. Yeah, so are you guys out on the road touring a lot? Yeah, I mean, ever since we, ever since 2016, we've been touring a few, you know, three to five months out of the year. And oh, wow. Obviously, the last few years were an exception. But now we're back out and like we're doing two months in the US right now. We get back and do, we have some other stuff that we're, that isn't announced yet that we're going to do and then hopefully make it to Europe at the end of the year as oh, well. Nice. Did I lose you there? Um, nope. There we go. We're back. We had some buffering there for a second, but I think we're back. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We're like on in the middle of nowhere in Illinois right now. So <laughs> it might get a little spotty. So you guys ended up moving to Pittsburgh, right? Around, right during the whole lockdown COVID era was what, what spurred the move from, uh, were you, you were in, were you in New York or San Diego at that point? We were in New York. In New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what spurred the move to Pittsburgh and, and why Pittsburgh? All right. Are you back? All right. I got a couple baseball bars here now. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. The band started in New York and then, you know, we were there for, I think a little over five years. First three years were awesome. I had kind of like a, I, I scored a job doing some audio visual work at, at Barnard college, which is like the women's college of Columbia. Right. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it was full salary, decent money, good benefits, all that, which I'd never really had. So kind of did that for a while until the band started doing more stuff. And then once we started touring, 
you know, it was tough to hold that down. I was lucky enough where I could work from the, it was a, a managerial position, so I could work from the road a little bit. Oh, okay. I mean, a lot of it. I did most of that. <laughs> I did a, I did a few tours. And then when we got the, the Melvin's tour in 2017, that was a three month tour. It was with our, we did a bunch of one-offs with everything. It was like 81 shows. Oh, wow. Three, and so that didn't really work out. You know, I, after, after a month and a half in, they were getting fed up. I was getting fed up. So I ended up quitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after that tour, I came home and, and Sarah was all, she had a job working, you know, we were doing basically just a bunch of part-time work. You know, she worked at venues doing merch, yeah. worked at a pet store. I was working at St. Vitus doing sound. Um, but it just wasn't enough to keep it going, you know, and even, even when I had the job at Barnard, it was still wasn't enough yeah. to, uh, to manage being a band in New York. And, you know, we came home from, we'd be coming home from these tours with very like little to no money and come home to a four floor walk up that just yeah. caught too much to, to afford. And, you know, it was crowded and hectic and it just started kind of getting to Sarah and I, so we decided to make the move and we looked around. We, we always liked Pittsburgh when we would play there, just how it looks yeah. and then how the people are, and you know, it just seemed like a fun town. So yeah, we checked around, we checked around like New York, like upstate New York, New Jersey, cause we wanted to stay relatively close, but nothing, everything was already too blown out you know so, oh so yeah like it wouldn't make sense yeah i mean new jersey's anywhere in new jersey's almost as bad as new york it's seriously it might as well be the same now i know um, I, I lived there for years and it was it's just back when i lived there it was ridiculous yeah so we ended up looking up pittsburgh because we know you know we remembered it was a cool town and it looked cool and it was just like compared to new york just dirt cheap you know oh yeah we're half if not more and uh so we just took a weekend, went and checked it out and looked at a bunch of places and got, rented a place, got out of our lease in New York and just took off. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. I've been to Pittsburgh yeah. a grand total of once nice. and I thought it was last summer and I, I thought it was awesome. It's a really cool town, man. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's, I, it's scenic, you know, there's, there's tons to do and like, you know, we're not at this point at this age, I'm not like the nightlife part of our lives isn't huge anyway. So yeah, like we wanted more space and like, now we have a yard. We were able to buy a house eventually a couple of years ago, oh, nice. which is something I would have never happened anywhere else. I lived. True. Yeah. You yeah. Know? San Diego or New York. That's what's just been yeah. insane. That's so, crazy. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I hate every Pittsburgh sports team, but I like the city. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't go with any Pittsburgh teams, but the city That's itself is good. good. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not a big sports fan, which is weird for being, for living in Pittsburgh. You have to kind of be a sports fan, I guess. Yeah. You might become one at some point, by right. four, but not by choice either. So. Right. <laughs> so, all right. So you moved into the, uh, the house and yeah. Did that have an effect on the new album? Because the new album, I mean, it sounds like Spotlights for sure, but it sounds a little bit, I don't know, tighter. Or it sounds, it, it sounds like a progression for sure. Did the yeah. did that move affect the writing and the recording? Um, I mean, I think inevitably any kind of move like that does, you know? Like, I think our move to New York was definitely a catalyst for just what ended up being Spotlights. And now the move here and then, like you said, the new space, especially I built a studio in the basement of the house that we bought. Oh, nice. And so, you know, it's small, it's a little basement studio still, but that's where I do most of my mix work and everything. And, and I'm able to record there 
too, but it's a, it's really small and it's a basement. So it's literally like seven foot ceilings, you oh, know, yeah, it's super tight and kind of like when you're recording a full band, it's pretty claustrophobic. Oh, wow. uh, so I think that kind of like played into the actual sound. And before we even made the record, that's, that's really one of the main things we were thinking about was the production of it and the sound of it is what I really wanted to like focus on and having that small space. I was, it, it kind of gave me the thought of like making things a little more confined and like, and yeah, like claustrophobic sounding for lack of a better word. Okay. But while still but almost like I wanted it to sound like the sound was like trying to break out of a room. <laughs> oh, know? Hey, well, like, mission accomplished for sure. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really sparked the, the initial idea of like what we, the push to like, do things differently, you know? So like sonically, almost before we really started writing or getting like the actual songs together, I had more of like a production idea in my head of what the album should sound like. Oh, um, cool. Which dictated a little bit of the writing as well, I think, in the long run. Interesting. Oh, now, are they all new songs or are some of them older that you brought back? It's a mix, yeah. Two of them are actually really old, uh, like before titles, like 2014 when we started oh, wow. first writing music. But they were just ideas that I kind of had on the back burner. You know, I tend okay. to keep most of the stuff that I write just, you know, in hard drives. And whenever a new album comes up, I'll just sift through stuff just to kind of spark new ideas or see if there's anything usable. That's and awesome. These, these two in particular, it's the first song, Beyond the Broken Sky and Crawling Toward the Light. Yeah, like 2014. But, you know, the, the structures were a little different or whatever. And then I was going through old stuff when we started putting songs together for this album last year. And it just seemed like they it was a perfect time to finish those, you know. Those are two awesome songs. So uh, Beyond, Thanks, the, Beyond the Broken Sky definitely sets the mood for the album. It's an awesome yeah. opener. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I've been listening to this for, for a while now. And it's just killer. It's crawling Towards the Light would really hit me about that is it, to me it kind of sounds like if failure wrote a song with gary newman <laughs> that's awesome it's just got this I, love it. I mean you were mentioning your you know early on your love of the 80s music with, from your sister and all and it yeah. it kind of sounds like the the heaviness of, of like a, a heavy failure song meets because there's, there's a little bit of, of like a, i don't know maybe synth sound like maybe a gary newman kind of a sound to it and it's that's just how totally. it struck me so yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff was a huge influence on me, like early, you know, early New Order stuff, ah. even even like gothier stuff like Depeche Mode. The Cure for me is probably my biggest influence growing up. So okay. all those synth sounds and stuff and little hooks, especially The Cure. I mean, a lot of those bands use those little synth hooks to kind of develop parts. So like knowing that if you really listen to spotlights, you hear that throughout the whole catalog, I think. Oh, for sure. And that's, that's one of the cool things I like about it is the songs will be very heavy and dark. And then there's some little bright pop in there that yeah. I'm not expecting <laughs> that. And it, it's, it's just like, Oh, what was that? It's just it keeps it from 
sounding like other heavy bands, which I love. Right. So well, thanks. I appreciate that. The first single was the alchemist, right? Is that right? Uh-huh. Okay. No, first single was algorithmic. Oh, algorithmic. Okay. <laughs> so, Oh, that's the one that I, I that's got, it's so heavy, but it's got these beautiful harmonies in it. I Thanks, love man. those. I, I love it. Sunset burial. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's, that's if listeners, if they, if they like Deftones failure, that's right up their alley. That's, that's such yeah. a great track. Two of my favorites, though, I love uh, False Gods. To me, to me, that sounds kind of like if Swans did a Pink Floyd cover. Nice, I it's, love that comparison. It's just, it's got that crushing, brutal riff. But then there's something like a slide coming through, almost yeah. like a David Gilmore, like David Gilmore soloing over a Swan song. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. And then I think my favorite track on the album is Repeat the Silence. Oh, nice. It sounds like an early failure song. that killer bass line is just free to go and, and just keep going and, and repeating. Yeah. And I love that. And that's one of the things that I love about the band is your songwriting is so patient. It's right. you guys let the song develop and let it grow. It's not like, right. you know, I, we've got to start singing here within the first uh, 15 seconds. We've got to hit the chorus at this point. <laughs> you know, there's, there's songs where if a couple of minutes go by before there's any vocals. And totally, I, totally. I absolutely love that. It's un, maybe unconventional, but that's, I, I kind of like that kind of stuff. So Yeah. I mean, that's, I think back to like the influence thing, I think the cure for me is, is, is a band that, really taught me that just because especially if you listen to like not not so much the singles that they put out or like the you know the more poppy stuff that they have but like later tracks and on like kiss me kiss me kiss me or even some of the disintegration stuff it really waits like two or three minutes before any any vocals come in and for the most part it's one just one riff and one beat and it just keeps developing and then little you know, little bits of synth come in or a guitar line and every little piece that comes in is a hook that keeps you interested. So you don't yeah. get bored. Exactly. Know? And then that um, influence is definitely shining through in spotlights. It's thanks, man. Is there a theme that runs through this album, a conscious theme or because it seems to me, it sounds like there's a lot of dealing with death in this album. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, a, a theme is, is exactly right. Like it's not necessarily a concept album or anything like that, but the overarching theme is, is about, you know, different, different aspects of death from just plain old, like how humans deal with it and how we, right. some people are afraid of it. Some people are not afraid of it. You know, some, it deals with anything from like murder to suicide to just the philosophical aspect of, of death itself to like how different cultures will even like, you know, zombify their dead and, and things like that. And, yeah. And also like the more like occult side of things where seances and, and trying to talk to spirits and things like that, like how it's just, a, it's an interesting subject to me. I think just there's so many different aspects of it. Meanwhile, it's the only thing that we all have in common. True. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> That's true. Um, and, and that darkness that is shown, it comes through in the, in the artwork too. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you guys doing your own artwork? Are you guys having people do that as well? We always, we always put together on our, our own artwork. Um, we've had a couple of photographers that we've used in the past, but for the most part, we just take things that we like and then I'll, I'll usually put it together somehow and, and make something out of it. We did have for we all we all atomic. They had an artist that was doing the whole post wax thing. So that one, uh, which is awesome. I love that, that artwork. It is. And that is definitely one that's a little, uh, different from the other, yeah. the other yeah, artwork. You can tell it stands out differently for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, I just, I, I've gotten so into this, your band. It is just, oh, man, thank you so much. It's fits right in there. It's, it's kind of, I love the bands that, that, and I, I don't want to say you sound like these guys, but sure. I don't even know how to put it. <laughs> Cause I hate saying you, you sound like these guys. Cause you spotlight sounds I know, like, I, know. But I mean, the way I look at that sometimes is we can't help, but like compare or re relate something to something else. If you like something, yeah, it's usually because it kind of is familiar to you in, in some other way. Right. Right. So I don't mind, you know, people compare sometimes the bands that make no sense to me, but if it makes <laughs> them come to us yeah, and, and they can relate to it on whatever level makes sense to them. Then and that's awesome. You know, that's, and on a, in a podcast, you know, I have to kind of give a frame of reference, I guess, for, for people, I'm going to put clips of songs in here, but I, right. you know, but spotlight to me kind of fills that gap right between like failure and Pelican. Nice. Which okay. I love, cause I love yeah. the heavy heaviness Both of, of Pelican. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I love, the music of failure, but I also love their vocals. And, and to me, you got, you fit like right in there in that Greg Edwards type of vocals. Oh man. I mean, that's a, that's a huge compliment. I love Greg Edwards. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's made, he's in fact the only member of failure I haven't had on the podcast yet. Oh really? I'm working yeah. on that though. It's awesome. So, all right. I, I do have a couple more questions and I, sure. I know you got, you've got to get ready for the gig. Um, sure. but I did hear a really interesting story about, you going on tour with Shiner and having to fill in last minute as a guitarist. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be daunting. How the heck do you, cause it, it was kind of a last minute thing, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. How did that happen? And how did you prep for something like that in, in a short <laughs> period of time? It's just, you know, working under pressure, you gotta, gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> I, well, you know, Al called me up, Al from Shiner called me the, this was maybe five days before we were about to leave for the tour. Spotlights was playing with them on that tour. And, um, you know, he sounded bummed out and he's like, man, I don't know what to do. Like Josh just got called in. He's going to have to go to work. He, he can't get out of this thing that he's got to do. 
because he works for Pink the Leon. He's a guitar tech. And, you know, it's yeah, a big yeah. deal. It's, it's his livelihood. He can't just be like taking off for a few days of tours. So, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was like, would, would you want to, would you be able to do it? Would you be into it even? And I was like, hell yeah, I would love to play with you guys. Let me, <laughs> let's just see what happens, you yeah. know? And so, luckily, I had a couple days before Chris was getting to our house to rehearse for a couple days for spotlights because we, you know, since we don't live in the same city that's pretty much how we do it. Chris will just fly out a couple of days before tour and we'll just practice and go. Okay. So I really only had like three days of just being at home. I, I lucked out. I didn't have any more work to do mix wise or anything. So I took those three days and just, you know, I knew a lot of the songs already in my brain, but yeah. their guitar parts, they don't, you know, it almost sounds like one guitar player usually when they're playing. It's this intertwined kind of angular mix of parts. So breaking them apart was really the hardest part. The, the playing, there's, you know, some parts are a little challenging, but for the most part, they're, the actual physical playing isn't, isn't too tough. It's all about figuring out who was playing who, getting uh-huh. it to kind of getting the, the Josh vibe down. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And then more than anything, figuring out the pedals, like getting translating what he does to my setup oh so wow it, so it would sound good enough to be played with shiner yeah yeah because you got to get the sound right otherwise it's it's not gonna even if you're playing the right thing it's not gonna sound right yeah because he's you know he's such a he's such a maniac when it comes to soundscapes and, and <laughs> pedals and whatnot so like that was probably the the biggest challenge but also kind of the funnest part you know of the whole thing was figuring all that out and Josh helped me out a huge, he did, he helped me out a lot by, uh, he, he made videos of himself playing, especially some of the new songs, uh, uh playing stuff. And it worked out perfect cause he's left-handed. I'm right-handed. So it was like a mirror image. Oh, nice. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> I didn't awesome. have to figure much out. If I had a question, <laughs> I would pull up the video and just see like, where is he playing that? Okay. There it is. And, um, oh, that's awesome. so that helped a lot, you know? And, you know, we mentioned a little earlier that you had done sound for, you know, like failure and, and quicksand. Does that help you at all when you're out on the road with spotlights? I mean, did, is that uh, a help to to work with bands that are very particular about their sound? Yeah, I mean, I think I think all that helps working with people that are, you know, for, I think everybody we've toured with has taught us a shitload in, in all different ways. Like, yeah. You know, even from Deftones, especially, I always give a lot of credit to the Melvins teaching us a lot, especially about how to tour and how to be a sustainable band. You know, they're like, to us, they have the ultimate career as a band, mainly because of their longevity and, and their consistency with their fans. You know, they've, they can, they, they tour incessantly and always just nobody gets bored of it. You know, they can always fill the rooms. They can always yeah. do the thing. And it's because they've built up, first of all, they, they trim all the fat. There's no bullshit external costs that don't need to be there. You know, if like so many bands just waste money on, on extra production stuff that they, it's not really going to do anything for them and, and uh, the show. Okay. Interesting. If, you know, Mel- Melvin's could tour in a bus, but they still tour in a van. Yeah, that, that's for sure. That's a, that right there saves you a thousand at fifteen hundred dollars a day. Wow. Oh you know, my gosh. Probably, if not more, when you put in gas in the driver. 
So, yeah, that's true. I didn't. You know, yeah, and that's bro, that's the things a lot of people don't think about. Like, especially if you're not in the industry, you know, you don't yeah. necessarily think about that stuff. You th- exactly. You know, they that making that kind of money that makes them sustainable. Therefore, they can keep making music and they can keep touring at that level without crashing. You know, where a lot of bands end up miserable because it's <laughs> just too hard. Uh, and then on the on the technical side, like touring with failure was a was a huge learning experience. You know, Ken is an incredible engineer and I've respected his work forever. Um, I didn't really know failure as a band too much until relatively recently, like the last 10, 11 years is when I really found out about failure. Ah, since the reformation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, I had, you know, I knew they were a band. I just never really got, had gotten into them, but Sarah actually was a fan since she was younger. So she kind of was turned me on to them more. Oh, and, um, getting to kind of know them at an older age, I think was interesting. Cause I like, I love their music definitely, but their approach to like the technical aspect of things and how they, how they approach just being such a precise and good sounding band is, is awesome. And I think it's inspiring. So like being on that tour and, and it was fun just working with Ken on that because we, we were setting up a ton of, technological shit for like his pedal board and, you know, setting up a a playback system for them and all this stuff. So I learned stuff that I was already doing with spotlights that they weren't doing. So we could kind of, we kind of like fed off each other a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was a great experience, but I learned a ton for sure. Uh, That is awesome. Well, I've, loved the album it's one that's going to be it's in my car right now it's it's on constant rotation uh, awesome it's one of the best things i've heard all year so thank you man and i know thank you've you so got much. a gig you've got to get to so i want to thank you for spending so much time taking the my time pleasure. while you're on the road to do this podcast man that that is awesome uh, no worries man i appreciate it achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? 
Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.